chances are there are a hundred substitutes that would do that function for a cheaper price. And the reason you buy what you buy is more so because of the story than it is because of the function. Welcome to Subscriptions Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Robert Scrobe, who is a subscription consultant and author of Retention Point. Robert, welcome to the show. Nick, it's my pleasure and honor to be here. I'm so excited, and it's been too long. Yeah, I'm happy to happy to hang out with you and talk subscriptions. It's yeah, it's just it's fun, kind of gabbing I, about what's happening. Yeah, I think it's a favorite topic for both of us. You and I have, you know, gone back and forth a number of times online, and we've been trying to get this chat lined up. So I'm I'm glad we're finally able to make it happen. That sounds great. Absolutely an honor to be here with you and your listeners. I appreciate it. Well, for those that don't know or maybe don't know enough, tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and of course, the book. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I have been within subscription businesses now for more than 27 years. For the first 10 years, exclusively with nonprofit trade associations. And you know, during that time, I actually bought a company that was a consulting company for associations and found myself responsible for membership marketing, conference marketing, sponsorship marketing, exhibit marketing for more than you know 22 different membership organizations. And along that time, I discovered direct response copywriting, as well as this area of information marketing, people who were publishing what they knew online. And what I did is I, I, I really learned copywriting and studied those principles and applied this kind of for-profit information marketing model to the world of associations and had tremendous results and still have many of those clients even today. The other thing that I started doing in 2004 is start working with for-profit subscriptions and worked with a number of launches, you know, really more than about 50 different subscription business launches, either as a standalone or as an addition within an existing company, and mm-hmm. actually created my own subscription business working with individuals that wanted to publish and do coaching programs and things like that online. I actually exited that business in 2012 and then started working as a consultant within large subscription businesses that aren't necessarily the specialized publishers, authored and published the book, Retention Point, in 2018. And and thank you. And I've been really working behind the scenes with some of the biggest subscription brands in the world, focused primarily on retention and helping them grow their subscription business by losing fewer subscribers. Because most subscription businesses are like, oh, what do I offer? How do I deliver? Those types of questions. And what I find is that it's really usually not directly, you know, their retention problems are not directly related to what they deliver, but really kind of how they position it, how they interact, and their relationship that they have with their members 
which is really the same thing that I dealt with with associations. But now we're kind of taking that knowledge to the for-profit world because there's no MBA program for subscription businesses. They don't teach you how to run one of these. And so the information is new. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting. And we, we talk about it a lot on the show about how it's cheaper and easier to keep a subscriber that you already have than to go out and get a new one, which is just especially true now when acquisition costs just continue to climb and, and go through the roof, right? So your specific focus on retention and churn, I mean, this has got to be, you know, the golden age for you in terms of this needs to be the focus of subscription businesses. It's too easy to cancel now, right? It is. And yet a lot of subscription businesses are so focused on the acquisition, particularly in their startup phase, acquisition becomes their really the number one and only growth driver because it's all about creating that Mm -hmm. MVP and having the the proof that their business will work by having people buy it. And unfortunately, a lot of leaders, particularly startup leaders, difficult for them to transition from that beginning mode of subscriber acquisition as the number one key driver of growth to okay, member retention and really relationships are the key driver of growth. That what we're really doing in this business, rather than, you know, because we get so focused on delivering our product, whether it's a subscription box and you're curating those items or you're a publisher and you are, you know, working with your writers and editors in order to push out your, the way you promised, a coach or a digital streaming service that's concerned about creating content for their subscribers. There's so much focused on what we deliver that most subscription businesses don't even consider what type of relationship they're trying to build with their subscriber. And the subscriber relationship and being intentional about that is really the key to retention more so than what you actually deliver. Another way to maybe say that is it's all about engagement, right? The early ages of subscription were set it and forget it to a certain degree, or at least a lot of businesses built up that way, right? Focus on the acquisition, hope that they forget about the product and, you know, pay you for as long as possible. But yeah, now that is completely turned on its head, right? I agree. And I really have a pet peeve against the whole zombie subscriber at scale idea like, oh, well, what we're going to do is be like a gym membership where very few of our members actually use what they're subscribed to. And I've been through the recession of 2007 and 8, and I saw thousands of subscription businesses get started in 2003, 4, 5, and 6 that disappeared by 2008. It was it really wiped out 70 to 80% of them because they were focused on the zombie subscriber and not really focused on building a relationship. And so as soon as there was some unemployment and people felt like they might lose their jobs, they cut their subscriptions. And with it, a lot of businesses disappeared quickly. And I just don't want that to happen again with the subscription businesses that have come along in the decade plus since. What impact do you think the digital age and everything, so many, or not say everything, but so many things moving online because of COVID and, you know, that acceleration, but we've got, 
your money management apps and things like that that are even highlighting now the subscriptions that you've got. So again, cancellation is now easier and more visible than it's ever been before. Do the tactics to prevent churn change because of that? I think they're raising the stakes. That whole zombie membership idea that you could kind of hide and go below the radar, really, you, you got to dispel that, that whole gym membership sort of belief. Because you know, as soon as they're pretty much any financial expert that's on Good Morning America or Today or any of the other news programs, one of their bullet points is cut the subscriptions you're not using. You know, it, it is <laughs> right. over and over again. And then, of course, Truebill and, and other mm. tools like that, this whole idea that you're going to be able to somehow ride and not be noticed is really has to be dispelled. And instead, it's all right, when we when we get a new subscriber, how do we quickly engage them and using your words? And what I try to explain to my clients is how do we make our new subscriber more excited on day two than they were the moment that they joined? And then how do we make them more excited on day three than they were on day two? And so that they get to day seven and they're seven times more excited than the moment that they joined their subscription versus how many times have you bought something and then two days later when it showed up, you're like, what's this box? I don't remember buying this. You know, Those boxes like, oh, are on my door every day. What is this? And then, well, you know, if you you and I are doing that, because it happens to me all the time, then our subscribers are doing that too. And as a subscription business, you know, we have very few opportunities to, to retain them under normal circumstances. If we're sending them a subscription box or a publication, that gives us one day a month for retention. And then that means they got at least 29 other days to cancel. And so what we have to do is fill in that gap time with a systemized approach. I call it choreographed communication for the first you know, 30 days at least, you know, seven days at a minimum, 30 at least, 100 days is what I work with my clients on so that that communication, so that at 100 days, not only is that customer more valuable to you because we've choreographed upsells, upgrades. And we've also choreographed retention within there. We have bridges from getting them over each payment in the month if they're if they're monthly. And then also they are better served, the customer is better served because they are using the product, they love what you deliver. You know, whether it's a SaaS, a subscription box, a publisher, a digital streamer, you know, how can we make that subscriber more excited week after week? rather than kind of, oh, here's your user ID and password, good luck. Exactly. Choose your own adventure at that point, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I talked to several subscription businesses that try to be like Netflix. It's like, oh, well, let's, what we'll do is we'll watch what they're interested in. And then based on that, we'll give them some recommendations. And the thing is, is that there are very few subscription businesses that market like Netflix. So Netflix is interesting in that where most subscription businesses say, oh, we've got this plethora of content. You see the Disney Plus commercials and it shows Mandalorian and it shows the 
the other Star Wars stuff. And then it shows, you know, a Pixar movie. And then it shows Pocahontas and, you know, how you're able to get all this programming for one low price. Whereas Netflix is Queen's Gambit. And this is Queen's Gambit. And this is how great it is. You can watch that on Netflix. Or Orange is the New Black. There's probably three years where you saw really almost no other Netflix ad or commercial other than Orange is a New Black. And so they were bringing in their subscriber for a particular bonus. And really what it was, was you get to talk to your friends at the water cooler about the show. You can be an insider instead of Mm -hmm. being on the outsider and like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I don't know Piper. I don't know any of these people. You know, what are they talking about? So by being on Netflix, you became an insider. And so they were very smart. Netflix is smart about what they're selling. They're not selling content. They're selling insider status within your friend group that you are the person who has seen that program. Whereas Disney Plus is here, we've got this princess or that princess or that superhero and they're focused on their characters, which understandably so. So when you do that with Netflix, now you are in a better position to, they come in for a particular program based on how they watch that program, you know, because Netflix is monitoring what shows you watch. And you, if you watch a couple of episodes of something and you don't care, you don't get finished to the end of the season, or then you move on to the next one, They're tracking you and they have what they call a hooked point. And so when what they call the hooked point is the episode at which 70% of the viewers watch the whole rest of the season. Mm -hmm. So with Orange is the New Black, there's 12 one-hour episodes, hundreds of minutes of entertainment. And yet the hooked episode is the third episode. What Netflix does is they really study the hooked episode to see, all right, did we introduce multiple new characters? Did we go deep in a Mm -hmm. particular character? Was there a plot twist? Was there a big reveal? You know, what was it in that episode that made it the hooked episode so that we can move that earlier in the episodes and the writing of the show so that we can get people to the hooked point faster? And what I propose for subscriptions and membership businesses is really, you, know, you we all have lifers. We all have people who we couldn't get rid of if we wanted to, that they love what we offer. They love what we deliver and they can't get more of it. At what point do people become lifers for your subscription business? And what are the steps that get them there faster than where they're getting today? And when we start trying to manage that, we then learn a whole lot more about our customers. We learn about ourselves and what customers really like rather than what we like and what we're proud of. And we're able to make more of those lifers faster on purpose than we were by mistake, by chance. So that seems to require a pretty pretty keen understanding of not only what your product is, but how it's valuable to your users and where they're going to, to your point, where they're going to move into that next category. And are there other categories other than lifer? Would you categorize them in other ways? 
Yes, there are, there are multiple steps, but the, the most important piece is flipping your perspective from what you deliver to who you're delivering it to. And I got to say, probably 80% of my consulting would be completely unnecessary, would be not most of what I do. And when people bring me problems is like, oh, well, I'd love to create this high price subscription. We've got a We've got a $97 monthly subscription, and we want to create a $5,000 annual subscription. Will you help us create that subscription? Because we're already offering this, and we don't want to cannibalize that, and we don't know how to price it. We don't know what the value is. And my entire practice is they're thinking, all, they're like, what do we deliver to justify a $5,000 price? And it's simple. When instead you decide who are we going to offer this subscription to? Who's already paying the $97 a month? Who is consuming? And what are they consuming? And then now, how can we talk to them in a way that, you know, when we identify who those people are and who the super users are, really becomes patently obvious how we create the premium subscription and what we offer and what we deliver them. And the answer is always in the who rather than the what. That's a little counterintuitive, right? That's probably why you have an entire consulting business is because it's not. Because largely there's this belief that I build it and they will come. I create content as good as Orange is the New Black or Queen's Gambit or something like that. And they're just going to want it and they'll pay whatever. That's what a lot of people believe, right? I call it a hope. I love The Field of Dreams. It's a fabulous movie. And mm -hmm. yet it's a terrible marketing approach. <laughs> it just doesn't quite work that way, does it? Not even slightly, because the business isn't made for you. It's made for your customers. And when you deliver what they want and what they need, often within the subscription business, it's so counter, it, it, it goes so far. One of the key things to recognize is that you are selling a luxury product. Because the person whose children went hungry last night is not subscribing to Netflix today. And they're not subscribing to your thing either, which makes your subscription a luxury item. And so, all right, mm -hmm. now we agree that it's a luxury item. How are luxury items sold? Are they sold based on the core value of what's being delivered? I like coach purses, they're amazing products. And I am told that Louis Vuitton purses are far superior because when you're carrying a Louis Vuitton purse, it makes you feel like a badass. Now, I only hear this. This is what I'm told. What I, It somehow Allegedly. justifies the purchase of multiple Louis Vuitton purchases. But nonetheless, the Louis Vuitton purse isn't about the capacity, the zippers, the quality, the leather, or really even its looks as far as I can tell. It's really about how it makes you feel about yourself when you carry it. And the subscription, whether it's Notion that makes you feel smarter about yourself, or it's Trello that makes you feel organized and in control of your life, mm -hmm. or it's Netflix and it makes you feel like you're an insider, or Disney Plus that makes you feel like a good mom because you're nourishing your children with these, these great programs or it makes you feel cool because you get to watch the cool Marvel movies, 
or a subscription box, and it makes you feel like you have are the first to know about the cool items because the cool items get delivered to you. All this is really how the real utility of a subscription is how it makes you feel. And so when you distance yourself from the product itself and instead put yourself in the position of the subscriber and recognize the value is more than the product itself, but how the product impacts your subscriber, it actually makes this business way simpler because then it sort of helps you disconnect from the stuff itself and instead help you recognize that it's the impact, the feeling, the perception that is the reality of the subscriber and that now that's what you have to unlock in order to grow your subscription business. That makes a heck of a lot of sense. And when, if I'm going through the exercise of trying to identify what I think my customer wants, if I'm a, let's just say a social club, right? High price point, you're giving me a place to come and you're taking care of me and maybe I get free drinks, all the things that come with that, right? It's easy to, not easy, but you can think through those experiences and how that makes somebody feel. But if you change that to like the model of, let's just say replenishment or subscribe and save, where it's more of a commodity, hey, air filters. Love that business, right? Everybody needs them, has to have them. They need them every six months. Perfect thing to have a subscription service for. Walk us through how you should fundamentally think about those two businesses differently, or should you? Well, one of the great examples is Black Rifle Coffee. When you go to Black Rifle Coffee, they have you, and particularly when you buy from them, that first purchase, you are offered the opportunity to subscribe and save to the coffee. And when I talk to their customers, they tell me, oh, it's veteran owned. I like the coffee. I'm saving money. They may or may not tell me that they love the taste of the coffee. Often they will. But more importantly, they're telling me about how they feel about the relationship they have to the company called Black Rifle Coffee. And even with things as base, this is one of the things that Unilever has not yet mastered or figured out about the Dollar Shave Club is that the the scale of the Dollar Shave Club was more about rebelling against other razor companies than it was about the love of Dollar Shave Club and Mm -hmm. kind of being this irreverent rebel by choosing a different razor Okay, yes, you had the logic of I'm saving money, but it was really more about seeing yourself as somebody different. And then it was about the actual convenience, because Mm -hmm. most of us quickly got overwhelmed with too many razors. So recognizing that even in a commodity, it's really about the story they tell themselves is the reason they subscribe versus the actual tangible stuff. And even Amazon subscribe and save, it can be no more transactional than that. Save 4% and have the paper delivered to you on a subscription versus a one-time purchase. Save money. I quickly had to yield our subscribe and save monthly cart to my wife who feels great about managing the subscribe and save and finding the greatest discount. And I saved money. And it cannibalizes other places that she would buy products, which is smart. And it's really about the feeling that it gives as a power shopper 
that I'm able to put this on autopilot. I'm able to save money. I am such a smart person. More than it is the 4% discount. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Talked a lot about that, but how do you get to how this makes your customers feel? I mean, we can intuitively think about how we feel about it, but that doesn't always translate to what your target customers feel about it. How can you extract that? You got to talk to them. And it, it, and also when you when you flip it into, all right, I'm going to focus on my customer and what how this impacts them. Now that also just tells you what type of subscription business you want to be in. Because if you really are delivering a commodity and you have a subscription offer instead of a product sale offer, you're probably going to lose. And it may be, you know, this might be the reason you're struggling and not able to scale this thing. And that when you, because you don't, because all you've got is a commodity. But then when you talk to your customers, find out why sit with them as they use your product and find why did you do that why did you do this you know what are you seeing when you're looking at this product and you can be inviting them to a zoom that you share with them it can be having your call center call and having a research arm it could be just a person or two it could be somebody in your customer support team that does this outbound call and inquiry or within your marketing team. And you're, you're really looking for what, you know, what is it about the Louis Vuitton bag that makes them feel like a badass when they carry it? And where did they see it? What was the picture? Who else? And really, it comes down there. It comes down to who else had one, either when they were growing up or when they were a teenager. And the and so what is it about that product that makes you feel that way? And then we can sell the outcome of the feelings in our marketing and in our onboarding more so than, hey, I got this thing and you know, I got this razor I'm sending you, and it was engineered in Germany by the greatest engineers. It was brass plated, you know, X, Y, they don't care about the, it's kind of not, okay, interesting, but it's like, ha, I'm sticking it to, you know, daddy Gillette and yeah, right. uh, they're not going to get my money anymore. Do you think that's a reason why we see mega corporates go out and buy some of these smaller subscription companies and not be able to grow them? Of course. It's because what made them what they are just by being bought by some of these big guys takes some of that value away from the customers. Well, it's the same deal as huge brewing conglomerates buying microbreweries and thinking that it was somehow the name and the actual flavor of the brew mm -hmm. that attracted the customers. Right, but it right. was, you know, yeah. like an anything but Budweiser yeah, sort of movement. Right. And mm -hmm. it was about the story they tell themselves when they're drinking their $6 brew versus, you know, a Budweiser. And it's that story, that feeling that drives the value and price more so than the actual mixture, obviously. Not to go too far into this, but when it comes to pricing, then do you think it's more important to equate that with value than it is cost or the market itself? Yeah, it's all about the feelings you're giving. The pricing has nothing to do with your costs. I Again, counterintuitive. Uh, well, I'm a CPA by background. I was a CPA before I <laughs> got into the nonprofit world. I 
practiced public accounting for three months and hated it, took a job as a bookkeeper and before I got into marketing. And so, yes, I am very familiar with the management accounting principle of pricing based on costs. And it might be appropriate if you are selling a commodity like gasoline or, or something and you're trying to compete you know, with, a, with a pump on the other side of the block. But in subscriptions, we, we're, we're selling a feeling. We're selling a satisfaction. And understanding that and, and helping the subscriber feel good and feel differently because they're your subscriber than not is what's going to get them to defend that subscription to their coworkers when there's layoffs at their company and they're cutting back people and they're like, do we still need that subscription to that service that you're, you know, oh, hell yes, because this is doing this and this. Or to the spouse, it's like, oh, wait a minute, you know, I'm, you know, they laid off 20% of the workforce back at my job. I'm concerned that I'm going to be next. Let's cut back on our bills so that we can save some money in case, okay, yes, we agree, but don't cut that one because, you know, that's important. <laughs> and, and you will win that only based on the feeling because chances are the actual thing that you deliver probably could be found in some, there probably is some Alternative. suitable yeah. substitute somewhere mm -hmm. else. Just like there's a substitute for the Louis Vuitton, there's really thousands of them. And yet it's really during recessions that those luxury brands perform better because people want to reward themselves. They want to still, even though they've cut back on a lot of things, they still want that that little feeling of pride that comes along with having something that is that's special. That's a big part of Starbucks Starbucks success too, right? The the little luxury, particularly in their startup. Now they have been kind of usurped. In every city, there is a a local coffee shop that custom roasts, and you know there is yeah. some story behind it. Poor uh, others and. Certainly, Starbucks drive-through is out into the street, and so there's plenty of people still buying at Starbucks. But the people who really want to spend money and feel bougie, they go to the local coffee shop that roasts right there in their town. Well, that kind of goes back to your point of sticking it to the man, because Starbucks is now kind of the man, right? Given their size, so going to the local coffee shop, it's like I don't want to be associated with that anymore, right? Yep, and so. Yeah understanding these luxury sale and what is driving that is the key to understanding subscription marketing and retention. As you drive your Tesla or you think about buying one, what is the story that you're telling yourself? As you are looking at that expensive pen or the fancy phone, you know, what is the story that you're telling yourself is rarely about function. Okay, it's going to get, it's a mode of transportation, or it's a writing instrument, or it's a device that I can check my email. Because chances are, there are a 100 substitutes that would do that function for a cheaper price. And the reason you buy what you buy is more so because of the story than it is because of the function. And that is the secret to subscription retention is understanding and managing that story 
And that's how we're able to get folks to be more excited in seven days than they were the day they bought it is because we can help reinforce and build on the story they tell themselves about the purchase more so. Because in the actual transaction, often people are like, they don't even necessarily know what they're buying. They're kind of just giving it a try. Somebody told them there's a little video. Okay, maybe they watched a couple of videos on YouTube or maybe they did something, but now they're buying. Well, now we have more attention and interest than we did before. Also, we have the benefit of confirmation bias. They don't want to admit that they made a bad choice. So we can use this to our advantage over the first seven days and help reinforce and build that story so that they feel better about their purchase seven days later than they did the moment they did. And which is important because they might have a spouse or a coworker that's gonna challenge that charge. If not the first one, certainly the next one. And so you mm -hmm. need them, if they've forgotten that they even bought it, how well are they going to be able to reinforce the story to defend it? But if you've helped build the value over the first seven days in what they have purchased so that they're committed, well, they're going to defend that and be your biggest advocate to sign up more. To that point right there, if you get to that point in the journey where the customer sees the charge, calls in, whatever, and they want to cancel, what realistically can you do? What's effective at that point to try to save that customer? Well, most subscription businesses, particularly if they are selling online, you need to have an online method in order for them to cancel. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorites is an upsell. And because most subscription businesses, they're like, oh, well, you know, we'll offer a discount. And so if we sell at $49, we're going to give them a, a $19. You, know, you can you can have the subscription, but now instead of $49 a month, it's $19 a month. See that all the time. It turns my stomach. And I get it. The logic is, well, if I save X percent, 20%, 10%, whatever it is, 50%, I don't mm -hmm. care. You know, And they are now paying $20 that would have been zero. And so That's I'm keeping something instead mm -hmm. of nothing. But what you've done is you have told your subscriber that they are an idiot because if they had tried to price. cancel before, uh -huh. they could have been paying a lower price all along. So true. Yeah. And so no you, one really feels good in that situation. You <laughs> reveal yourself as a jerk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry to everybody that's doing that. I actually didn't mean it to say it that way. But what I prefer instead is an upsell. You know, a lot of subscribers who come to us, what they've discovered that they actually need more support or they want more or they want, you know, or if you're going to do a discount, do it because you're offering them an annual option. Even Amazon Prime did that for a while. And that was one of what I thought one of the best parts. You know, the FTC is kind of, charging Amazon Prime's cancellation process was fraudulent because there were actually five different steps that you had to go through in order to get canceled. But the key, one of the steps offered an annual upgrade to annual and save. And so rather than go down, offer an upgrade. If you must go down in price, then make sure that that's a stripped down offer so that you are not delivering the same benefits for the same price, but that there is, and I would usually leave out the thing that most people want, 
from that package so that it is kind of a, a wounded offer, but that if you're going to offer a drop down, offer a drop down, that's a, a less impressive offer. And then, but focus instead on the upsell in that moment. Yeah. Same thing if you have a call in system. Now, today, because of the regulatory issues, and even I was an advocate of this even years before there was a regulatory issue, I always tell my clients to cancel the subscription. So, before any upsell, upgrade, retention efforts. So, okay. Nick, you call me. You say, hey, I want to cancel mm-hmm. my subscription. All right, Nick, what's your email address? All right, great. Nick, I want to let you know that I've clicked the button. Your subscription is canceled. I do want to let you know, Nick, can I ask you a couple of questions as to mm-hmm. you know, what your experience is or why you might be canceling? And then introduce the retention efforts. Because I want what I've found is that it's counterintuitive again, because you think, oh, geez, once they've canceled, they've canceled, they could hang up and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But there is so much anxiety today. Are they going to let me cancel? Or are they going to jerk me around? Is it going to be a right. long sales call? Is there going to be a thing? You know, it's like, no, hey, Nick, I've canceled your subscription. You'll have a confirmation email in your inbox in a few moments, letting you know that it's canceled. You'll see no further charges on your card. Do you mind if I ask you, you know, what it was it that you liked about your subscription? You know, what was it that you weren't satisfied with? You know, now you can enter in that. It's like, and then it's the third question is usually, well, a lot of subscribers, I understand that you felt that it was expensive. And in fact, a lot of, you know, there are a couple of subscribers that have called and told us that. And what they have really been excited about is, and now you can make your offer. The theme that I'm hearing throughout this is you have to ensure you're having that positive relationship with that customer at every single step, including cancellation. Because at the first point that they feel like you're an adversary or trying to rob them in any way, you've set it on a down a bad path that's hard to come away from, right? Yeah. I mean, what the subscription business really is, is the relationship business at scale. Mm-hmm. You know, with the, you know, for, we have decades of research and insight into products and services and those businesses and how those need to be set, sold. First, it was products. That was well known until like the 80s and 90s. Then it was services. And you had books like Selling the Invisible and all of those that were teaching you how to sell a service based on the value. And there aren't a lot of insights on selling subscriptions. But I'm here to tell you that selling subscriptions is really selling relationships and helping them have a story in their mind about why they have that. Even the gym membership you don't use is really a story about, I want to get healthy. They have an intention. And as long as they have that, they feel like that is going to help motivate them to get to the gym. And the moment they cut that off is an admission. They're going to feel badly. They're going to feel worse about canceling the subscription because that's an admission of failure than keeping the gym membership, which helps give them hope that they're actually going to be motivated to get in the gym. And to that point, if I'm calling to cancel my gym membership and admit defeat at that point, and now you're going to make it really hard for me to cancel, we're compounding the problem now, right? I've already feel bad about myself. 
But once you recognize that, once you understand the story they're telling themselves, now you do, you, it's easy to recognize how to solve that. And an upsell is a pretty nice option. One of the things that we found about people who often cancel their gym membership is they just aren't accountable. They can't get motivated. And what we found is that having a personal trainer is a, a great key to getting you to the gym, making sure you're doing everything right, you have the great workouts, and that you show up because you got a trainer there. How would you like to have, and that's probably a 10x price over the membership itself. And the key to that is you only need five or 10% of those cancels to upgrade, and you've beaten the heck out of any of those downsell offers. That's a good perspective too. Look at it that way. Well, Robert, for anybody listening, what sort of things might they have? What sort of problems might they be facing that they should reach out to you and seek your help with? And then how do they do that? Thank you for that. Well, if you're considering creating a subscription business and you're trying to figure out how to add subscriptions to your existing business, or you have an existing business and you've reached a point where, man, it doesn't feel like our, our you know, I've, I've got a client calling next. It's like, I just feel like we're plateaued. You know, the number of cancels is about the same as the number of new subscribers we're generating. And we're spending $130 per new subscriber. Those are the times when it's really time to have a conversation. And probably the best way to get into the mix is to go to subscriptionsmadeeasy.com. At that page, you're going to be able to take get a download of my nine proven models driving subscription growth. And once you're there and receive that, you can reply to that message and let me know what you're looking for. And you can get a free copy of this book, Subscription Success, which you can get on Amazon too, or you get a free one at subscriptionsmadesimple.com. Awesome. Well, uh, Robert, really appreciate the insights that you shared today. I've enjoyed the conversation. A lot of it, like I said, was it's a bit counterintuitive. It's, it's thinking about some of these uh, concepts from a very different perspective. I love the one about, you know, upsell at the point of cancellation. Don't, you know, the the, the downsell has its, uh, you know, the problems that go along with it. But again, really appreciate everything you've shared today. And I feel like we've just scratched the surface. So we might have to do this again someday. Absolutely. We actually didn't get a chance to talk about the things that you wanted to talk about. So we'll, <laughs> no, right. we'll have to come back and, uh, and, yeah. and, and revisit sometime. And I'm, I'm yeah. happy to anytime. Awesome. We'll definitely do a part two then. Well, Robert, really appreciate Thank the you. time today. Thank you for the opportunity. Great to chat with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network.